0: Hello, and welcome back to the 3AM Mystery Club podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Rowena. And I'm Derek. So it's Rose turn tonight, and she's got a good old boy who done it story for you. Are you ready to go?
1: I am ready. So normally for me, you guys expect something tabloidy, usually from the 1920s or the 1960s. I am modernizing today. Today I'm going with 1980. And the case updates all the way up into 2014, so.
2: This, this is a throwback to Dorothy Scott, wasn't that 1980?
1: Yes, yes it was.
2: You do dip into the 1980 waters every now and then.
1: Every now and then, it's not my comfort zone, but but sometimes I just find a gem and I gotta go with it.
0: So it'll be easier for me to find a proper song for TikTok instead of something from <laughs> like 1930. <laughs>
1: That's right, I'm going to make it easy on you this week. All right, so tonight I have another West Virginia case for you. Um, These seem to be pretty popular, at least with my DMs. Um, They usually tend to fill up with uh, case requests from Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, and Tennessee. Uh, That seems to be where a large percentage of our fan base comes from. We do love requests and feedback from everyone. So, if you want to jump in and request a case from any part of the world, please feel free to do so by interacting on our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and we have a little private Facebook group where we share case photos, memes, and other fun things. So, feel free to hit us up on there with any kind of request, something you want us to cover. It can be anywhere in the world, it can be local to you, it can be local to us. We like worldwide cases too. We're not we're not picky, are we?
0: No, not at all. We'd love to hear from you.
1: And um, we also have a sponsorship through Anchor, our podcast host, where you can sponsor us for any amount you like, and in return, we can give you a shout out or possibly invite you on to discuss cases with us, depending on, on what tier you pick. And our sponsors right now, we'd like to thank our newest sponsors. It was Kathy and Mason.
2: Thank you so much, (laughs) Kathy. We love you. I love you. And we love you with this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us and for giving us all of your feedback and being such an engaged and and enthusiastic listener. We love you.
1: Yes. And we love that. It helps us keep going and keep wanting to do this. Um, This is a hobby for us. We want to turn it into a career. Two-year-old's feedback means a lot to us. We really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And thanks to Mason as well. He's always there for us when we ask for any kind of reader suggestions like our uh, would you rathers and all that. So thanks a lot for your sponsorship as well.
1: And and Mason always has good questions for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely need to, we definitely need to get him on here one day. Yes, so if if yes. you're listening to that, Mason, there's an open invitation. Thank you,
2: Mason. We would love to have you on here.
1: And now you guys can out there in the world can find out more about Sponsorship in the show notes—they pop up on every episode. And once again, we'd like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for any feedback you want to give us, and for any sponsorships you might give us. So now, without further ado, let's talk about the Rainbow Murders of Droop Mountain. You guys know where Droop Mountain is, you West Virginia natives? You?
2: I don't think I've heard of it.
1: So did you sleep through West Virginia history?
2: Um, I may have.
1: Uh, knowing you, probably. <laughs> but
2: oh, I wasn't super engaged.
1: Which, we'll, we'll apologize to your mom now. She's a teacher, and she's not sorry. like hearing that.
2: <laughs> and sorry to my mom, and sorry to Mr. Sayre, 8th grade West Virginia history <laughs> teacher.
1: Okay, so Droop Mountain is located in the lush, forested Greenbrier Valley on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. So Group Mountain is located in the lush and forested Greenbrier River Valley on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. Um, So like when you are traveling to Virginia from West Virginia, you know that big tunnel you go through where everybody's always like, hold your breath and make a wish. Do you ever (laughs) remember going through that?
2: You are making me laugh thinking about those.
1: It's that big tunnel that's like right through the mountain.
2: The Appalachian grandmothers of make a wish going through the tunnel. I do remember that tunnel.
1: Take your feet up off the floor, you touch a piece of metal, hold your breath, and you make a wish.
2: Yes. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: So, so there's the Droop Mountain Tunnel. And then, you know, on the West Virginia side is the Droop Mountain Battlefield State Park, which is a Civil War battlefield site, very popular with historical enthusiasts, also very, very um, popular with hikers and campers because you get some really beautiful mountain views. And the Greenbrier River Valley, I mean, it is gorgeous. We vacation there a lot. Um, so this is not like a, an endorsement or anything. It's just a really beautiful site if you like to enjoy the outdoors. It's probably one of the prettiest sites in West Virginia. I would say. So anyway, on June 25th, 1980, this popular park group, Mountain State Battlefield Park, was the site of a double homicide that rocked the small community and has had an effect on the area ever since so in the 1980s the crime rate as far as serious crimes like homicide were very very low so you can imagine small town big crime lots of people talking about it and to this day the mom walls are still talking about it (laughs) i'm
2: sure they are
0: yeah. oh yeah you know they use that as their as their like main warning now now be careful don't end up like blah 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 or, don't or, it,
1: and in this case don't end up like them hippie girls that were walking yeah. around after dark getting in strangers vans
0: exactly saying
1: yeah.
2: it to children of this of gen z era that don't know what <laughs> yeah. they're talking about
1: yeah yes. exactly <laughs> so Um, On June 25th, 1980, around nine o'clock at night, the bodies of 19-year-old Nancy Santamero of Huntington, New York, and 26-year-old Vicki Duran of Wellman, Iowa, were found to have been shot to death. The bodies were found by a college student who thought he had interrupted a couple having intimate relations. Unfortunately, when he got out of his vehicle to warn the couple, he realized the seriousness of the situation. The two women had been shot at close range and left haphazardly in a clearing. And I just want to add that while he thought they were, you know, necking was the colloquial term for it, um, neither woman had been found to have been sexually assaulted. Now, it was hard to find any background on the victims, so I'll try to fill in the gaps with what information I could because I know we like to focus on the victim's. Um, This case is more trial oriented, but I I still think it warrants being talked about. So 19-year-old Nancy, whose obituary describes her as a nature lover and tomboy, was hitchhiking with 26-year-old Vicki Duran in hopes of attending the Rainbow Gathering. The Rainbow Gathering is a week-long event held annually by the nature-loving and peaceful activist group known as the Rainbow Family, which started in the 1970s and has has its fair share of controversy in fact prior to choosing west virginia as its host state west virginia state government officials tried very hard to block the event from happening i'm paraphrasing here but basically the argument was that they didn't want dirty hippies invading the state now back to vicky and nancy the two women were hitchhiking from iowa city iowa with a third companion liz jondrow also 19 on june 24th 1980 A day before the murders at a truck stop in Virginia, Liz recalls having a bad feeling about continuing on to the gathering with her companions. She made a collect call to her brother in Vermont. And those of you that don't know what a collect call is, it's um, back then they had pay phones at at gas stations and truck stops. You would pick up the phone, you would dial 1-800-COLLECT, and then your mom or whoever would pick up and before they could charge you, you would say, Hey mom, I'm at the truck stop, come pick me up. And then you would hang up real fast.
0: I just I can't believe people, yeah, people actually probably don't know what collect calls are now.
1: Yeah. So I feel like I need to clarify for all you youngins out there. Speaking I of which, birthday. um, happy birthday, Brandon.
0: Oh, thank you very much.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I bet ha- you just love that little segue, didn't you?
0: <laughs> happy birthday, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is this is gonna be airing on my birthday. So thank you.
1: So and for your birthday. I gave the gift of explaining what collect calls were.
0: <laughs> That's right up my alley. Now tell everybody what a VHS tape is.
1: So back in the old days, <laughs> movies. Kidding. I'm kidding too. I'm not, we'll get into that on another. I'm sure there's a crime involving VHS tapes oh, I at hope some so. point.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna look for that.
1: Yeah, I expect you to be the one to cover it too.
2: With the three of us, we're definitely going to mention VHS tapes.
1: We'll be mentioning VHS tapes, cassettes, beepers, rotary phones. (laughs) You're making me laugh
2: with the collect call. Quickly say what you need and then hang up. I had sincerely completely forgotten about doing that. And I know I have.
1: I used to do that all the time. She made a collect call to her brother in Vermont and made plans to return home. The last time she saw her friends alive was when they all boarded semi-trucks. Liz heading north to Vermont. And Vicky and Nancy towards West Virginia, which would have been a sh- pretty short drive, so Vicky, who is now in her fifties, described her traveling companions as follows: I know Vicky as Bright Star that was her um her rainbow child name I took her I took to her warmth immediately, I felt we were friends within minutes. Nancy was more serious but curious and always wanting to try new things. Local investigators seemed eager to solve the case quickly. Author Emma Copley Eisenberg, who wrote the novel The Third Rainbow Girl, says of her research into the case, I learned the investigators who were local felt that their home place was somehow responsible for the acts of violence. The quest for justice morphed into a larger quest to redeem their community and rid it of bad apples. The case, unfortunately, went cold until July 1983 when a local farmer fell under suspicion after placing phone calls to Vicki's parents. Jacob Beard placed two phone calls to Vicky's parents. The first call, Vicki's father answered, and an anonymous man simply told him, I'm sorry your daughter got killed where I live, and then hung up. Disturbed by this, the Durans immediately went to the police, who tapped their phone line. Beard then called a second time and said that local cops were, quote, small town and not the brightest bulbs in the box, end quote. Well, that certainly got him on the police radar. Jacob further got into hot water with an animal cruelty charge. He killed his girlfriend's cat and placed its body on the bed beside her while she slept. So he is, in my opinion, a hateful loser. Oh,
2: yeah, he sucks.
1: Yeah, like I already hate this guy. And, you know, we're not supposed to be biased, but I can't help it when it comes to animals and kids.
2: No, he sucks.
1: So police brought Beard in in 1982 on the animal cruelty charges and then questioned him about the murders of Vicki and Nancy on the promise that the animal cruelty charges would be dropped. Beard agreed and told the police that he worked at his tractor salesman job until 1 p.m., did some field work, Stopped at the grocery store around 5 p.m., then attended a school board meeting with his then wife at 7 p.m. They returned home at 9 p.m. He stated that on his way home, he saw the vehicle of a local resident near the entrance of Droop Mountain State Park. Surrounding the vehicle were its owner, Christine Cook, and two other locals, Palmer at- Atkinson and William McCoy. Two women were also there, who may have been Vicky and Nancy. Beard also said that a third victim had been killed in September 1980, just three months after Vicki and Nancy. Beard stated that Palmer Atkinson and another local man named Arnold Cutlip killed the woman and brought the body to his property where they disposed of it in a wood chipper like in the movie Fargo. Police immediately investigated and found the latter claim of the third victim to be unfounded. Like, they couldn't find any evidence of a third body. They even confiscated the said wood tipper and found no evidence of blood or bone or hair or anything that could indicate any um, mammalian organic matter had passed through it other than trees. So, they they figured that was just a rabbit hole, like, to get them focused on another part of the case, if that makes sense, like a wild goose chase. So. In 19, so they let him go because they were like, okay, he's lying. I mean, if he lied about that third victim, he's probably lying about this other. Thing. So in 1983, another false account was reported, and the police actually went as far as putting the suspect up for a preliminary hearing, but charges were dropped as this main witness recounted recanted with his statement, and it was such such a, a loose thing. It's barely mentioned in any of the records. Like I don't even have the man's name but I thought we should mention it because I want to get all the angles of this case out there. So the case went dormant until 1992. Police reopened the case and found a witness witness statement wherein the witness saw two hippie type women get into a van with a local resident, Richard Fowler. The witness also reported seeing friends of Jacob, Jacob Beard getting in the van. Also around this time, a man serving a 10-year term in prison for forgery and auto theft, Keith Cohenauer, reached out to police hoping to trade information for a reduced sentence. He reported that on the day of the murder, he walked past Richard Fowler and William McCoy argue, arguing in Fowler's van. He overheard McCoy say, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life behind bars for Jake Beard or no one else. Fowler replied that if Beard found out he said those things that McCoy would end up in the same place as those girls. Cohenauer then met up with Richard Fowler and William McCoy at a trailer owned by a man named Gerald Brown. Cohenauer reported that Jacob Beard was also there and threatening Brown to keep his mouth shut later that night. Cohenhauer gave William McCoy a ride home where McCoy confessed to seeing Beard shoot Vicky and Nancy. The investigation was now back on Jacob Beard. Yet another local reported Richard Fowler's van being hosed from the inside out on the evening of the murders. You gotta love those small towns. Everyone knows your business for better or worse. Because it seems like 10, 12 years after these murders, people finally felt comfortable and all the gossip started coming out of the woodwork with, I saw him here and I saw him there. I heard him say this and I heard that guy say that. So, can you imagine the web the police had to untangle for this?
0: Oh, God, yes.
1: <laughs> so, on April 16th, 1992, charges were brought against Jacob Beard, Richard Fowler, William McCoy, Gerald Brown, Winters Walton, Arnold Cutlip, and Johnny Lewis. Everyone quickly flipped and implicated Jacob Beard as the shooter. In 1993, Beard was indicted alone on two counts of murder. Winters Walton was the star witness and testified to the following. He and Richard Fowler saw the girls walking along a two-lane road and offered to give them a ride. He then said he and Fowler believed them to be hippies and would be easy to have sex with. Walton told the women that they were stopping at their boss's house to pick up a paycheck and then stopped at Gerald Brown's trailer. They then began to plot to get the women alone. It was suggested to, that they drive to a local party spot, Briery Knob, which was on the way to the Rainbow Gathering. So the women agreed. Walton stated that when the area became more wooded and remote, The women grew angry and accused them of not taking them to their agreed upon location. The van stopped halfway to Briary Knob where they were joined by Beard, Brown, Lewis, and Cutlip who had a trailer nearby. So Cutlip's trailer as we as I got further into my research like he was the party house where all the you know the the drugs and the beer and the women that's where all the good old boys would go to party. So that's where they stopped and that's where the rest of the gang happened to be the women grew more upset when McCoy brandished a pistol Beard also had a gun and opened fire Vicki was shot first close range in the chest a large hole tearing through her body and Nancy was shot as she tried to run twice in the chest and once at point blank range in the forehead The bodies were loaded into the van, and their IDs were destroyed. On June 4th, 1993, Beard was convicted of both murders and received life in prison. The other defendants were never charged and walked away. Now, I know y'all are saying, but wait a minute, this mystery is solved. That's against the Mystery Club rules. Well, my dears, guess what? There's even more to this story. And it wouldn't be a true Row case without a bizarre tabloid twist. So here it comes. In 1996, Beard's lawyers produced a statement to the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals from the white supremacist serial killer and would-be Larry Flint of Penthouse fame, assassin Joseph Paul Franklin, saying that he actually killed Vicky and Nancy. Yes, the guy who tried to kill Larry Flint the founder of Penthouse Magazine, says that he killed Vicki and Nancy.
0: So is that another one of those stupid false confessions that we always find? or
1: This is where it remains to be seen. So it turns out when this case was first investigated back in 84, Franklin said that he killed two girls in West Virginia and he just left it at that. Like he didn't expound on it, he didn't explain anything. He just left it at that. And when Beard was being tried for the case in '92, his lawyers said, "Hey, somebody else confessed to this." But investigators and the judge even said, "Well, this is a pretty flimsy confession. We're not going to allow it. We're going to suppress it." So in 1996, the lawyers produced this statement. The judges are thinking about it. First, they're like, "Okay, we're still this is flimsy. We're we're going to uphold." Beard's conviction. This still does not make sense. In 1997, Joseph Paul Franklin was being uh, interviewed by an Ohio prosecutor for some murders that occurred there, and he uh, went into a little more detail on the case. He said that he shot the two girls. He said that he shot them. First, he picked them up, and he had no intention of harming them. Then he said he shot them because he found out that one of them had a black boyfriend and he was a racist who didn't believe in race mixing so he shot them again it's a pretty flimsy confession he didn't really get into any more detail than that he never talked about it again they asked him to draw like a location of where the bodies are and he drew a very vague and very crude map of Briary knob um it was just enough for the For them to, for uh, Beard's attorneys to finally get uh, a a retrial. Let's just say it wasn't wasn't enough for them to convict Franklin. So he was never charged for these murders. But it was just enough for them to maybe doubt the case against Beard. So based on this confession, Beard was put on trial a second time and was acquitted. He then turned around and sued the state of West Virginia for wrongful, wrongful conviction and won $2 million, he then retired to Florida. Now, Joseph Paul Franklin was already on death row and believed to have killed 22 people. He confessed to the rainbow murders in 1984, like I said, his confession was found to be reliable. Um, he just simply, you know, as I explained before, simply said, I killed these two women. Um, he didn't give that many details. He got their names, finally, their first names, I I believe, um, and he said he killed them because he didn't believe in race mixing. Um, It should be noted that it was, this confession came two years after Beard was first investigated. The killings were not Franklin's usual M.O., as he preferred long-range sniper-style killings, and these were brutal point-blank range killings. Franklin was never charged in the rainbow murders, but he was executed in 2013 for his other murders. A former Pocahontas County sheriff named Jerry Dell told the Cincinnati Inquirer in 1999 that he remains convinced that Beard was the murderer. He says he's worked in the prison system and that there's always a society within society. Franklin got the number of times the victims were shot wrong. The trajectory was wrong. Nothing makes sense. Dale knew Beard personally because they both lived in the same community and said, if you look at his background, there's a lot of Jekyll and Hyde stuff going on. So officially, this case remains unsolved.
2: I really don't know what I think, to be honest. This is an odd one. Joseph Paul Franklin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He- He's ruled out,
1: so they never did anything with his confession. When he confessed the first time, they ruled him out because they said it was a flimsy and not substantial confession, like he didn't have enough details. So, it was one, so they thought it was one of those what's the guy that we like from Texas that confessed to everything? And
0: oh, Henry Henry Lee Lucas,
1: yeah, they just thought it was another Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah, because he didn't give enough details and he was very vague and he said it like one time and then refused to talk about it again. Whereas with his other murders, he willingly talked about it. Like he couldn't shut up about them. But these he's like, yeah, I did it. And that was it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why is that a thing? Like we find that happens in so many cases.
1: I know. It's, It's really weird. I mean, the only thing I can think of logically it would be like well, he's already on death row what's two more murders to add to my list? well
0: yeah sometimes they do it to like you know extend their stay or whatever or or to get a stay of execution i guess is the phrase mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't usually work
1: yeah so then years go by and then when beard is actually in prison and he serves a little bit of prison time in the 90s he, he in 92 he was convicted in ninety six, his lawyers tried to get it his case retried again on that same foundation of oh, there's a serial killer that confessed to this. It can't be our guy, despite all this evidence and witness corroboration we have. It can't be him because the serial killer, who gave very vague facts, said he did it. And so based on that, he uh, Beard was given a new trial and acquitted because they're like, Oh, well, this guy confessed. So, and in the community. Even to this day, it's still a 50-50 split on whether Beard did it or not. And then there's also, this is kind of dark, funny. Some people get mad at me for laughing at this, but um, the cut lip guy whose property was the, um, uh, the as they said the third body was and that they put it in the wood chipper. Everybody started calling him the corn chopper guy.
0: The corn chopper?
1: it would say, there goes the corn chopper. <laughs> now, there's also a really good conspiracy theory about this. And I didn't bring it up in the main podcast because I know we like to stay as factual as possible with our cases. And none of us, none of the three of us really are into conspiracy theories anyway. But this one ticks all of my boxes and what my personal theory on this case was. And also, it comes from a pretty good source, Stephen Hager of High Times, the founder of High Times, um, who has a podcast. He does conspiracy theories. He can be backed up his theory about the JFK murders. Uh, He's had federal judges say this was the best written theory I've ever read. This is the most plausible theory I've ever read this guy did his research he's got his facts and I mean, until
2: and until sorry to interrupt i just want to say until recently like the last few years conspiracy theories used to at least be fun to in, to entertain right. and they didn't always have a political angle like they've
1: right come right through in
2: the last few years right and some of them are really interesting have Things that make you say, like, well, maybe there is some merit to this.
1: I'm okay with conspiracy theories as long as you do backup research on it. Like, if you find a conspiracy theory and you think it hits all your buttons, then do further research on it. Don't just take one source as fact, and that's with anything. I'll step off my soapbox on that. But, um, so Stephen Hager of High Times has um, a blog and a podcast called The 10 Whistle. Um, On his blog, which is very interesting, he has noted that the Rainbow Gathering in 1980, this was the first time it was going to be in West Virginia, specifically in the Monongalia National Forest. Even locals have a hard time saying that name. And what he found was not only was there political opposition, which got dropped, I mean, it it was an issue, but it was wasn't really an issue like it got dropped pretty quickly it was located near the headquarters of a registered hate group called the national alliance like it was right in the backyard of that so he surmises that the national alliance basically called it open season on all the hippies that were going to the rainbow gathering and he says basically this group saw these hippies like these the six men i mentioned that were questioned and then beard who was indicted were maybe not officially members of this group but maybe believed in the teachings of this group so they targeted these women because they were hippies and they were racist and they believed the hippies the nudity the free love the drug the race mixing that was all against their beliefs he then goes on to say that because of his connections, Beard's connections, and then because um, Larry Flint's would-be assassin was also a known racist, that maybe they had connections that way, and so to get Beard acquitted, they, through the grapevine of the jail, had him, gave, fed him enough details to finally make the confession meaty enough to get Beard acquitted, and it's to me it's an interesting theory. I mean, it's it kind of ticks those boxes, especially in the nineteen eighties.
2: It does tick all of the boxes, especially for the time period.
1: So and, and I'm not generalizing, I'm not random you know, I'm not blanketing the culture of West Virginia or the county, because I, I live in West Virginia still. And I know that's not true of everybody, but this is just a nice meaty side note to this case that someone researched really well and they put two and two together really well and it it's kind of interesting to just go and look at it from that angle that's all i'm saying so what do you guys think about that theory
0: hey i think it i think it should just be called a theory and not a conspiracy theory because you know i think there could be some yeah some truth to it
1: yeah i do too and at the same time that this the festival was happening, the gathering the head of the the national alliance had um published some books and manifestos on basically anti hippie propaganda um so that's another reason that this theory is out there that could be possible
0: right now. I'm really intrigued by the thought of somebody in nineteen eighty finding out that this was being held in West Virginia and going there like how did they find that out in the 80s like i've I've been thinking about this the whole time i always get obsessed with how people communicated before cell phones and the internet it's yeah. like how did they know and like why West Virginia and is it still held there
1: it is it well it was after these murders it was uh banned from being held here but recently there are talks that it may start up again
0: oh okay so I was like um, in Colorado now or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It felt it like moved. I saw. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and it's, um, like,
0: it's like Burning Man sort of like. Yeah, kind of. yeah.
1: It's like Woodstock, Burning Man. They camp. They listen to music. They chant. They sing. They do arts. They do crafts. They smoke a little weed. Um, and then
0: know, there's
1: murders. And then murders. <laughs> um, but to your point about how did this word get out, did you watch the series with me and Derek, American Woman?
0: Oh yeah, I watched a few episodes of it, but I
1: didn't finish yeah. it. So it showed how they got all their like they got word out to thousands upon thousands, and it was with mailing lists. Yeah, yeah. Like they would they would hand type pamphlets and they would just blanket mail it to people.
0: It's just and, so intriguing to me.
1: And the and nowadays people are like I can't believe people would pay attention to a newsletter or mailing list, but yeah. back then, like that was, that was your news. If you wanted alternative or underground stuff, it was probably in your junk mail or on a flyer somewhere. Yeah, But although it was hippie with hippies and I'm not using that term in a derogatory way, especially in the seventies and eighties, when this was going on, they were, you know, their residencies were not, Concrete, like they were just traveling everywhere. So that's also, that's a good question, Brenda. If if you don't have a permanent residence or you're always on the move, how do you know where to go?
0: I mean, it's like word of mouth, but still, even then.
1: Yeah, like I know if it was me, I know back in the nineties, I was not popular enough to even know where the kids partied around our county. So I, I couldn't imagine finding out where a hippie festival.
2: I would like to see a movie about this and see 1980 West Virginia Hippie Festival.
1: Yeah, that would be really interesting. There is a documentary I saw on IMDb. It's not out for people to watch yet, or at least I couldn't find any places to watch it anywhere or even buy it. But this lady's been working on it for about 10 years now. Um, Oh, yeah,
0: I was was just I was just Googling to see uh, how long it's been around. And I did see that there's a documentary being made. Yeah
1: yeah so that'll Tell be the rainbow murder
0: the rainbow murders I think
1: yeah yeah I can't
0: believe I never heard of this it's always surprises me when there's a case I haven't heard of especially one like this that I feel like I should have heard of yeah really I um, I've been thinking also about how I had this coworker, an older coworker, at one time she introduced me to her son he was a pretty he was young at the time and she introduced me as somebody who would have been a hippie back in the day. So I've always wondered that about myself. Would I have been a hippie if I was born earlier? Like if I was, you know, if I was a teenager in the sixties or seventies, like I wonder if I would be, sometimes I think so. And then sometimes I think I wouldn't be, but she seemed to think I would have been. What I'm, do you think? Would I'm you have been okay. a hippie?
1: Well, no, I wouldn't. I would have been that nerdy girl. I would have been Peggy Olson. From <laughs> uh I think you, I think you would have been more of the rock and roll, not the hippie per se, but the kid that goes on tour and follows yeah. his favorite band.
0: I think Derek would have been a hippie.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would have been. No doubt.
0: Yeah, you're, you were basically a nomad anyway, so I could just, yeah, that was, that would have been your time.
2: That really I, was time made for nomads. Yeah. Yes. A nomad like me. <laughs>
1: But, yeah, I totally would have been the girl who wanted to go to the big city and work in uh, copyright or something.
0: I <laughs> probably would have been. been, I would have been killed in Vietnam. I know. I. <laughs> oh, oh.
1: Well, then let's say early 60s. <laughs> because I could totally see you going out to California because you followed a band that you really liked and then you ended up staying there for a while and just... And writing
0: for Rolling... And writing for Rolling Stone.
1: Yes.